The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Father, we thank you that you look on us with love and that, Lord Jesus Christ, you do see us. Teach us what it means to live in the freedom of the children of God. Teach us what it means to be fully human. And Lord, as you transition us from a church plant under the covering and protection and and watchful care of All Saints Dallas into our own unique uh, parish or church, autonomous. Lord, show us how we do life together. Teach us now by the power of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening to everybody. What a strange day. It's been like 30 degrees every day for the past however many days, and then it's 70 degrees today. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad. Maybe some of you have been in Baltimore for the last few months and you're here in town. So I'm so glad, Grops, to see you. Love you guys. Miss you dearly. Little heart shapes. Everybody make hearts at at Doug and Robin. Good. Oh, and I got your letter, and I'll just go ahead and respond now to your question. Because sometimes in letters you have questions. Doug and Robin and I are pen pals. So yes, no. Doug, I wasn't aware of that. Of course, and probably so. So. That'll just save us the trouble of writing another letter. Isn't that better? Oh my goodness. Well, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're in a unique season of our life as a church. As we've been talking about since August, we're transitioning. We're transitioning into the life of our own sort of church where we have, we're taking responsibility for our own governance, our own finances, our own organizational development. And as we've been doing that, our bishop and the senior pastor at All Saints Dallas said, you know what, guys, it makes sense that as you become your own entity, that you would have your own identity. So he said, he encouraged us, Bishop Phillips encouraged us to have our own name. I brought to you last week, if you weren't here last week, you may not have heard the name. It could be like St. Swithin's and St. Tommy Boy or anything. But the name that I, that I suggested that we, we name ourselves is St. Bartholomew or St. Bart's for short, if you like that. Not everybody likes the short one, right, Jim? Okay, some, some people prefer the, prefer the more dignified name. I get it. My name is very short and boring, Jay. So I like dignified. And last week I told you that there's something about the uniqueness of St. Bartholomew, not just the word, but the man who actually lived, the man who was one of the 12 disciples. There's something about the uniqueness of his name that bears the weight of who we are as a church and who we'll become. And it's, it's the headwaters or the beginnings, it can be the beginnings of a cohesive vision that will give character to our identity, 
shape to our mission, breadth to our community, and depth to each of us individual members of it. And I mentioned that there were five sort of aspects of St. Bartholomew that I wanted to talk about. Now, last week I talked about his name, Bartholomew. It's a patronymic, meaning the son of somebody. He's the son of Ptolemy, the son of a farmer. And we talked about uh, the visions that I had had before this church was even a dream, the visions I had of East Dallas, and they were always agricultural. They always involved soil and trees and things like that. But also, when you do mission and ministry, More often than not, it's a little bit like farming, that you break up the fallow ground, and that takes time, it takes effort, that you plant the seed, a sower went out to sow, that you water it with care and nurture and and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about all of those things last week, but over the next four weeks, including today, we're going to unpack the rest of uh, aspects of a vision that I believe are tied to Bartholomew's name. Next Sunday night... My first rector, I call him my first rector, John Schuler. He was a guy I worked for for three years in North Florida. He lives in, most of the year in South Carolina, but he's going to be here preaching to us about the collect for St. Bart's Day because John is the first person that I learned about Bartholomew from, and he has used that prayer for St. Bart's Day for most of his life to organize his own life of mission and mystery. So he'll be here with us next Sunday night. You, don't, you really don't want to miss it because John is 70-something. He's not going to like that I said that. But he looks like he's 45 or 50, and he has so much energy. He, he'll run circles around this place, and you'll, and you'll be in love with him all at the same time because if I ran circles around it, it'd just be annoying. But if he does it, oh, it's adorable. It's John, John Schuler. So you don't want to miss that. The next week... We'll talk about how Bartholomew was from Galilee. What does that mean for us? What does Galilee have to do with East Dallas? Well, we'll talk about that and unpack that, what that means for our vision for our church. And the last Sunday before Lent, February 11th, we'll talk about what Bartholomew did after the resurrection. Did he stay in Cana of Galilee and set up a nice little trinket shop? No. After the resurrection, the ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Bartholomew took the gospel of our Lord Jesus and he went east. He took it to modern-day India, and we'll talk about that. And what does it look like for us as a church to do mission over these next few years? What are the things that we're doing now? What are those rhythms and spaces? You love when I say that. What are those rhythms and spaces of mission and ministry and worship that we have? But tonight, here's one of my favorites, guys. I first learned this about a decade ago, that Bartholomew is considered by the church, traditionally it's been handed down, that Bartholomew and Nathaniel were the same person. They were the, they were the disciples, you'll see in John, only in John as Nathaniel mentioned, in John chapter 1 and John 21. And in both times, he's from Galilee and from Cana. Bartholomew is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in what we call the synoptic gospels, those that have the same sort of summary of the life of Jesus. But Bartholomew and Nathaniel are synonymous. They're the same person. So we're going to look at this encounter that Jesus has with Nathaniel, but I'm going to interchange the name Bartholomew. So I'm not, I'm not changing the word of God. I'm just saying I'm substituting that name. We're going to look at the encounter that Jesus has with Bartholomew. And there are two things that I think, when I look back at what God has done, and when I close my eyes to imagine and dream 
and envision what God might be doing with us and in us and creating in us for the sake of East Dallas and beyond, these are two things that I, that I see and that I want him to do in us. The first thing is being a child of God or live, to live in the freedom of the children of God. And the second thing is to be fully human. When I asked myself the purpose of the church one day, I believe I was in Amarillo, basking in the glory of Amarillo. Some of you know firsthand experience how great Amarillo is. And I remember thinking, what is the purpose of the church, as one does when they're in Amarillo? And, you know, it's easy to, to, you can find all sorts of scriptures and put things in there and make it sound all good and nice and airtight, but I'm not an airtight kind of guy. And I think the thing that... (laughs) The thing that hit me was, I want the purpose of our church is to form people in the image of God. We're already made in the image of God, but to form children of God in the image of God to be fully human. And we'll talk about what that means in just a second. So let me get back to my notes because I'm wandering around and I'm so excited. I'm very giddy. Let's look at the encounter that Jesus has with Bartholomew. If you've got your bulletin, it's on page three and four. If you've got a Bible, John chapter one. So there Jesus is, he's in Galilee, and he and he's walking around, and Philip hears about Jesus from Andrew. Philip goes and tells Bartholomew. Bartholomew hears of the gospel, and his first response is, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, quick time out. Some of you have been to Nazareth as well. I was recently in Nazareth, and no joke, we're driving up a hill. We just visited the Church of the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel, these things actually happen. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to say, you are going to bear the Son of God. We leave that church. We're driving up a hill. And no joke, on the side of the road, I see a toilet. And then further up the hill, I see just a mattress. Because when you're done with your toilet, what else do you do but drive up the hill and you know kick it out the back of the car? Same thing for the mattress. So Nazareth is not like your glamorous place. You know, Dubai, whoa, what a cool, big airport, lovely man-made island, seventh wonder of the world, etc. No, no, it's it's Nazareth. So Bartholomew says this, and Jesus, when he encounters him, instead of scolding him, instead of correcting him, well, actually, young man, anything like that, Jesus says, behold, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And as I thought about Bartholomew, and as I thought thought about renaming our church, I thought, well, what does it mean to be a true Israelite? Well, for us, because I'm not sure if any of you are ethnically Jewish. None of us are Jewish. But the New Testament writers, especially St. Paul, and we heard about a little bit about it tonight, Talk about being adopted and being grafted in and brought into the family of God. That the promise that God made to Abraham would be for the Gentiles. So being a true Israelite for us in this context and for the sake of our vision is to be a child of God. St. Paul says this, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That means that we make decisions not based on the flesh and not just, he's setting up two different things here in Romans 8. He's he's following up on 
4, 5, 6, and 7. But the flesh is that which is at enmity with God. Meaning, not just like you and I are still like in bodies and have the flesh. That's not necessarily what he's saying. He's saying the desire of the, the first Adam. That desire that puts God at the back of the line and self at the front of the line. Now, do we still have remnants of that? I mean, I do. I don't know if y'all do. But yeah, of course. Of course we do. We've got that. But St. Paul says that all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, are sons and daughters of God. So what does it mean to be a true child of God? Well, it means to have the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we believe the Gospel. And St. Paul says to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a one-time thing that you walked an aisle or you were baptized as a child and you grew into that faith and you recognize and acknowledge that, holy cow, I am a sinner and Jesus did die for my sin and I accept that. It's not just that one moment that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's like every day. I mean, if I don't do that, if I don't ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit, I can become quite the, you know, my hands become knives kind of guy. Not very nice, not very good. So what does it mean to be a child of God? It means to be that you're led by the Spirit of God. But more deeply than being led by the Spirit of God, St. Paul says in Romans 8, let me read it because I don't want to mess it up. 8.15 For you, Speaking of the Spirit, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of Pause for a minute. He could have said anything. But he chose the word adoption. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters is understood there by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So to be a true child of God means that we have this Holy Spirit in us that fights against our instincts. And it's not just a spirit that we have <clears throat> that we can access, which is true, we can. It's not just a spirit that we have that gives us power. Yes, it can. It's not just a spirit that prays for us and we don't have the words to pray. Yes, that's true. It is the spirit of adoption. <clears throat> when my youngest daughter was adopted, <clears throat> her status went from not in a family to in a family. It fundamentally changed her identity. And that's the same thing that Jesus is saying of Bartholomew. This is one. Yes, he's of the nation of Israel. Yes, he actually understands who I am because later we'll find out, oh, Rabbi, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God as opposed to the other Israelites, the Pharisees, etc., who constantly question Jesus' identity. But we'll find out that Bartholomew is one that is a child of God, one that will be led by the Spirit of God, one that will be adopted, one that will share in that fundamental change of who he is. And in that moment, <clears throat> we can take a breath, and we can settle in to think about what does it mean to live in the freedom of the children of God? Yes, we're free from sin. Sin has no more power over us. Paul will say earlier in Romans 8, 
we're debtors, but not to the flesh. We don't know, we don't know a, a, a dang thing to the flesh. Period. We are totally new. And we can rest in that peace of knowing we're God's children. And that there's nothing we can do to prove ourselves to God or to one another to make God love us anymore, period. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Now that's hard to swallow sometimes because yeah, we should obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments later in the same gospel. Nevertheless, we think of the picture of the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is really about the father. Because the father, even though the son says, hey, I wish you were dead, give me the money, and goes off, as soon as the son comes home, what does the father do? Does he take him and teach him a lesson? Why did you screw up like that? I always told you. Etc., etc. That's hard being a dad, by the way. That's not what the father does. He runs out while still, while the son is a long way off. The son that had wished that the father was dead squandered all of his inheritance. He runs out while he's a long way off, puts the ring on him, clothes him in the robe, slaughters the fattened calf, has a party for him. To live in the freedom of the children of God is to live in the reality that God loves us that way. So high, so deep, so great that it's overwhelming, we sang earlier. And we can rest in it. That we don't have to prove ourselves to anybody, to anyone, or anything. Now let me tell you what, what my fear is. <clears throat> I know I'm a son of God. I'm probably pretty decent at it at the stuff, at the doing. But there wasn't just one son in the parable of the prodigal son. There was another son, the older brother. And friends, I'm going to just confess to you, more often than not, I'm going to be like the older brother. I'm going to be envious of God's grace poured out on somebody else. I'm going to forget how close I am to the father. And do you know what the father says to the, son, the older son? Because the older son throws a fit. You never did this for me. You never threw a party for me. You never took me there. We never got to go do that. Put it in your unfairness journal, older son. But do you know what the father says? Instead of rebuking him, you have been with me this whole time. And everything that I have is yours. I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, oh my gosh, I've behaved, I've prayed like, I've had expectations like, I've believed God like the older brother. So Bartholomew is a true Israelite, a true son of God. And for us, for our vision, for us to be a church called St. Bartholomew's or St. Bart's, what does that mean for us? that we're inviting people into this kind of a dangerous place where we're saying, please come. Come and experience the freedom of the children of God. It's a little bit scary. 
but the spirit in us is not the spirit of fear. It's the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I could go on and on and on. So the Holy Spirit is key to that. We need the spirit to lead us, to cry out in us, to testify to us. Because if we don't have If we don't have the Holy Spirit present in us, I'm not saying ontologically or essentially, I'm saying if we're not constantly asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, we'll forget, we'll wander off, and we'll become older brothers. And everybody knows how much fun a church is full of judgmental, (laughs) self-righteous people is, right? Good, okay. So first, (laughs) so... Bartholomew is this true Israelite. He's a true son of God. And, and what that invites us to do is to live in the freedom of the children of God. Secondly, the thing that we see is that he is someone in whom there is no deceit. The second and a half of Jesus' quote there in verse 47. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now we see that in a couple of ways. Bartholomew I just love his reaction about Nazareth. Maybe because it reminds me of me. Because when I'm not thinking, I will say what I'm thinking. <laughs> and I've just learned as an almost 40-year-old that you're not always supposed to say what you're thinking, Jay. It's not always a way to win friends and do well in life. But I love that authenticity. And I think there's an invitation there. And when I think of who God has called here, and when I think about, when I think about the life that I see, when I look out and see conversations and relationships, when I hear stories from pastorate, when I see people praying and with prayer teams in the back, I see authenticity. I see you got, you're not holding things back. You're not hedging your bets. You're not putting on a mask to make sure everybody likes me because if I don't, that'll just absolutely crush my world. You're here because you're you. And I think that you perceive that. I think that you perceive that people love you no matter what. And friends, we have to protect that. We have to cultivate that. We have to keep that authenticity. Nazareth, I mean, excuse me, but, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm not saying go be a jerk to everybody. But what I am saying is we have to have a freedom to be authentic with one another, to have our masks off. More so, for me, what I see here is this invitation to be fully human. Or as St. Catherine of Siena, who lived in the 14th century, said, be who you were meant to be, and you will set the world on fire. Ooh, wow. How about that? Be who you're meant to be, and you will set the world on fire. There's something good about being human. Did you know that? That when God made everything, and then he made us, he wasn't like, oh, well, you know. Worked on them on the side. No, he said, and it was very good. God made us in his image. There are good things that we have to offer, gifts. A theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, said, every human gift, talent, and potentiality can be a spiritual gift. God didn't make us robots so that he could control us. He didn't put us in this little biodome so that we, wouldn't, we would never get sick and we would never touch anything dirty, and et cetera, et cetera. No. He made us human. But very, very early on, 
love of self won out over love of God. Milton in Paradise Lost gives us an image of Eve seeing her reflection in this pool of water and the spark of of self-love and desire that would lead to death begins. But it's very, very good to be human because Jesus, to rescue us, came as a human, fully God, fully human. And he came to rescue us, to make us a new creation, to create a new humanity. So when Jesus comes again, in the words of my dear friend Christopher Myers, he's not going to burn up the world and throw it out like a dirty diaper. It's a great quote. He renews humanity. He renews creation. So there's something about being a, a true child of God, an Israel, a true Israelite, a child of God, living in the freedom of God, full of the Holy Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, living in that peaceful place of rest with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's something about that to, that makes us fully human, that helps us realize the potential of who we were meant to be. That's what I believe about the Christian life. That's what I believe what being a disciple is and making disciples. That's when I think if somebody were to come to St. Bart's for a year, a decade, or a hundred years, what do I want them to be when they leave this place or when they go home to be with the Lord? Of course I want them to be more like Christ. I want them to be fully human, more fully human than when they came, with God's fingerprints all over them full of the Spirit of God, full of the freedom of the children of God. That's why the risen Christ is not a cloud, though when He ascends, He ascends into clouds. They can touch Him. Thomas touched the the scars, the nails. Heck, he liked to make, he made a little breakfast of grilled fish on the beach. What is more human than cooking out on a beach? But Jesus, when he was resurrected, glorified. He didn't shed that flesh, but it became transformed and glorified. So, true Israelite to live in the freedom of the children of God in whom there is no deceit. To be who you and I were made to be. Now, I need to finish. And I'm never supposed to say I need to finish, but I said it. One of the most dear moments in this interaction with Jesus and Bartholomew in Galilee. So Bartholomew is just waylaid. He's lambasted. He can't believe that Jesus um, had seen him. Or excuse me, he can't believe that Jesus knew who he was. And he's just kind of in awe. And Jesus says, I saw you. Friends, God sees us. He doesn't just see the church side of us. He sees all of us. And you know what he says? He doesn't say, get get it out of here. Not now. He says, come to me. Jesus says to Bartholomew, I saw you under the fig tree. And you're going to see greater things than these. He says that to us, friends. 
And he invites us just to rest in that knowledge that in all of our past shame, in the history of our lives that we run from and try to beat back, he sees us. In the stuff that we struggle with, that we can't seem to shake, but we know we're free from, he sees us. And he delights in us. And he loves us. And every single day he says, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. And friends, that's his invitation through us to East Dallas, to Richardson, to Garland, to anybody. That through us, he is our Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord who stretched out his arms of love on the cross. Not everyone not just some, but that everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace. He will say through us, a community of being living in the freedom of the children of God, people trying to become fully human, he will say to those around us, I see you. Come, live in the freedom of the children of God. Come, be fully human. All that the Father, my Father and your Father, he says, made you to be. Will there be suffering? Yep. But, Jesus says, I have already suffered for you and I will suffer with you. Will there be an inheritance? What's in it for these people who don't know the Lord? And Jesus says, yes. There is an inheritance. There is something that if we saw it, that if our minds even comprehended a fraction of it, we would fall down and worship and repent, forever doubting our Lord. And that's the invitation, friends, that our Lord will issue to those around us, the people of the neighborhoods of East Dallas and beyond. I see you. Come be a child. Come be fully human. Come and live with me. Let us pray. God, we love you. We thank you that we love you because you first loved us. You loved us with perfect love that casts out all fear. And, and Father, Abba, we beg you to rewire our brains. Help us repent and change our mind. Forgive us for not believing the love you have for us. Lord, help us become all that you have made us to be. Hmm. And at the end of the day, Lord, we rest in your amazing love for us. We pray this, Lord, in the power of your spirit and through Christ our Lord. Amen.